So there's an expression in the Bible, we are an Am Arif, we are stiff-necked people. Israel, in this week's Torah portion, is standing on the poised to go out into the wilderness, have a few days' walk, we're going to get to the Promised Land, everything's going to be good. Not so fast. What is it about this Promised Land that the people find that they are so hesitant to get there? The beginning of the Torah portion, we find a list of 12 spies. God appoints one spy for each tribe. Okay, they're supposed to go into the land. They're going to come back and bring a report. The people are going to go up to the land. But each one, interestingly, each one of the spies is named individually. We're going to get back to that in a moment. Ten of the spies bring back an evil report. Now remember, this is the people that just stood at Mount Sinai. This is the people that only a year ago exited Egypt. This is the people who experienced plagues and the redemption from those plagues. Nonetheless, Ten spies when confronted with the land that God said, you're going to go here, bring back an evil report. Two of the spies, of course, uh, one-sixth of the people, bring back a good report and say, no, 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 we can do it. We can go into the land. People are condemned to live in the wilderness for 40 years until the generation of the Exodus dies out for their lack of faith. Now, this story can be taken as a historical fact. I know people who would say, okay, this all has happened just as it occurred in the Bible. This can be taken as a made-up story, kind of a nice illustration of how we got from Egypt into the Promised Land, and after all, to this day, Israel is the historic land of the Jewish people. This can be a metaphor for human beings in search of God and a promised land and a purpose to life. And this statement, this story can be taken as a parallel between what happens on heaven and earth. That we live in a spiritual world and a physical world. And everything that happens in the physical world has its parallel in the spiritual world. So when we have a story like this, perhaps it could be taken as a description of a process that's occurring even now. That there is a wilderness. There is a promised land, and we're always, all of us, on the way from Egypt to Eretz Yisrael. This sermon rests on an assumption that we live in two worlds simultaneously, the physical world and the spiritual world. I believe that. I believe that as I stand here at this moment, I am standing in two worlds, a world that all of us, and I'll talk about this in a moment, can sense and feel and know is here, and a world that we understand is here, but is not visible. It's not sensual. It is not capable of being understood on the physical level. When we are truly in touch with the world of the spirit, we find a contentment of soul. When we are not in touch with the world of the spirit, we are spiritually discontent. We may not even be able to locate the source of our dissatisfaction with life, but we feel it. We often mislocate that spiritual pain in a place that is not accurate. We feel that there's something wrong. We don't quite know what it is. And then we often act out as if something were amiss and it was someone else's fault. What does this story tell us about that spiritual journey within the self? But we are complicated animals, we people, we human beings. The psalmist said we are created in the divine image, little lower than the angels. 
And all of us have three major impediments to a spiritual life. First, we are captured by our bodies. We endure physical pain. Sometimes people will say to me, why can't I get in touch with the spiritual world? Okay, or the world of the spirit. It's very simple for some people. When you walk around with a stone in your shoe, it's hard to remember that there's a God. When you are in physical pain, it is hard to stay connected for many people. And we are overwhelmed by our senses because that's the world that we're told that we live in. So touch, smell, sight, hearing, taste, five senses. We, all of us, all the time, seem to indulge those. And we are convinced that we live in a physical world. And so many of us are taught that there is no such thing as a world of the spirit. So even when it sits right in front of us, even when we almost sense it, we have a tendency then to deny its very existence. Can't tell you the number of times that I have had people come to me and describe something very spiritual that happened in their lives and discount it by saying, yeah, there's no such thing, so it must be something else. So that's first, we are complicated people and we have our bodies. And secondly, we are psychological animals. This is what I believe the Torah is getting at when it lists all the spies separately. Remember I said, there's a reason for those spies. Why would God, why would the Torah list each one of them? Why didn't it just say, a spy from each one of the 12 tribes, okay? Enough. We all of us experience the same events if we're standing in the same place. But because of our bodies and our psychologies, we are actually experiencing a different world. Thus, in a real sense, each one of us has an experience that is colored by where we come from. The more introspective people realize that our psychologies color the events in such a way that we interpret them subjectively. The world in which we live is a very personal and subjective world. We walk about as if we understood that this is really an objective material reality, but it's not the case. If you're an angry person, you may react to a confrontation with anger. If you're the kind of person who is introspective or perhaps even introverted, you may say, oh, that was an assault on me. I can't get out of myself in order to confront that part of the world. If you're the kind of person who is just calm all the time and can't get yourself up to react, well, there are times when we ought to react emotionally. There ought to arouse something within us. But I see people who are caught within their bodies, unable to express themselves emotionally. We are all of us very individualized creatures, and we experience the world out of our individuality, the individuality of our bodies and our senses, the individuality of our psychologies. And third, there are those who are materialists who believe that the material world is all that there is. We are in this congregation liberal Jews, and that is what I see most often. There is no such thing as a spiritual world. I learned about it in college. If it can't be replicated, if it can't be duplicated, if it can't be scientifically proven, it doesn't exist. But what if, what if there is a spiritual world and the hallmark of that world is it's not replicable. It's dependent upon how we react to it as individuals. So there are those among us who believe that there is a world of the spirit out there to be experienced, to be understood, to be lived in. 
Judaism recognizes this, and it's tried to teach us how to maximize its presence. How do you get beyond the material to the spiritual? Well, Judaism says you say 100 blessings a day. Let me ask this question. How many of you say a bracha before you eat? How many of you say a bracha when you get up in the morning or when you go to sleep at night? Good. So here's the point. The physical world impinges on us. The psychological world is ever-present. We're always interpreting our reactions. Something's got to remind us that we're to be connected to God in every moment. And so when people come to my office to ask me about this, I say, listen, you got to say the Shema every morning. you got to say the Shema every night. And here's one more thing you need to do. This will make you crazy. Go through a list of all your encounters during the day. The people whom you've offended ask for their forgiveness. And the people who have offended you give them your forgiveness. Such that tomorrow, whatever they did, doesn't exist anymore. Whatever they said, however they confronted you. I don't mean allow them to hurt you again. That's not what I'm saying. Forgive them their transgressions against you today. Judaism says that we say 100 blessings a, a day so that we will always keep God in front of us and always be connected. Prayer three times a day, or at the very least once. Every time we eat, every time we open our mouths, a prayer. Why? Because it came from someplace. President Obama was right when he said, none of us actually accomplishes what we believe we've accomplished. We all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I'm not saying we didn't add to it. Of course we added to it. But there's so much that has gone before us. And it is pride, a lack of humility, that convinces us that it's our achievement alone. So when we pray, we remember that everything comes from elsewhere. We are to live in the world with gratitude. If you've not been able to breathe, as, as an asthmatic, I can tell you what it's like to not be able to breathe, you will give thanks for every breath you take. If you're not able to walk, and then you can walk again, you suddenly become aware of what a blessing walking is. Everything that we have is a gift to us. Our talents come from God. Our achievements were intended for us so that we could give thanks for our lives. They are not our accomplishments. They are the fulfillment of the abilities God has given us. We do not achieve simply on our own. We are the instruments of the divine. And so in every moment, with every breath, we are to give thanks and that is the purpose of a bracha, however you say it. And God gave us acts of loving kindness. Simply giving to another human being, gratuitously, without asking for anything in return. Why? Because it connects us to the world of the spirit. And God gave us love. Love through which we can understand. That there is a fulfillment to life is simply giving yourself to someone special. Crush the ego, God says, in order to make room for God within.
So the spiritual person tries to keep the body and the emotions in check because we are responsible for what we feel. To react to someone else just because you feel offended or confronted is to say, somehow or another, I need to respond to you. But you don't. You don't. We need to respond to God. And I know how difficult that is because I'm no different than anyone else. And yet, the spiritual life is dependent upon keeping ourselves in check to be connected in every moment to that which is above us. So we emphasize the God-given positives, the love that we feel, the possibility of giving selflessly to another human being or to our world. But we live in a world which overemphasizes the body, overemphasizes our emotions, tells us, look out for number one, and number one is always me. This is a world that leads to indulgence of our appetites. It leads to a deification, an idolization of the cravings of the body. We end up unhappy people, wondering why it is that we feel empty inside, that nothing is ever enough, that we are dissatisfied with life itself. We keep psychiatrists and psychologists in business because of an aching inside, a longing for the spirit. To simply indulge the body is to lead ourselves down the path of egotism and narcissism and the service of the self and the destruction of community to aloneness, a feeling of emptiness and purposelessness to life. And then people say, well, how can there be a spiritual world when I feel like this? Well, the answer is, if you simply got beyond yourself and searched for the spirit every day, there'd be a different world that you would be living in. So what is the reward of connecting to God? Satisfaction of the spirit. Nachat ruach in Hebrew. Connection to others, living in community. A deep and abiding interest in life, because time is always filled with an understanding and a feeling that life has purpose and life has meaning. And every single moment and every single breath is precious. You develop a sense of humor about yourself because you know what? You're just not that important in the greater scheme of things. And yet, you are absolutely most important in God's eyes. For my sake, the world is created, and I am but dust and ashes. Those live within the Jew simultaneously all the time. To live with the Spirit is to combat the inclination to place yourself first, to raise the ego above others. And Judaism has the formula. Judaism has the formula. It's to simply give thanks in every moment. To thank God for every blessing that comes our way. 
to remember that we didn't do it for ourselves, but it came to us because God placed it there and gave us the opportunity to utilize it. Tomorrow we are going to study in my class a very interesting text. It says that God will hold you accountable for every legitimate pleasure you don't enjoy. Isn't that a great approach to life? Every legitimate pleasure you don't take advantage of in the next world, God's going to hold you accountable because God provided it and you didn't find it. Wow, what a religion. But it came from God. And we, you and I, live in a world that denies the existence of a spiritual life and says, look out for your physical self, your own appetites, and indulge your psychology. It is the path to ruin. And yet, we deify it. We say it's the only world that exists. What is the purpose of this sermon? Israel started out into the wilderness. We all start out into the wilderness. Israel said, the promised land is right there. It's right there. It's two days away. We don't want to go. We don't want to go. We're too afraid. Judaism provides the opportunity to see the spirit in front of you, to get to the promised land at any given moment, if we will but say that the spiritual world is right at our fingertips and live in such a way as to bring God every moment into our lives. Judaism has the formula to get there if we will simply find the path out of the wilderness to the promised land for ourselves. Can you hear what's up?